right. I think we can now say that football is officially back. We just had a whole weekend, four days in a row of great football games, a lot of action, a ton of fun, really great to get players back on the field. And let me tell you something, Eric, that I learned here in week one of preseason football. I can block better than Tim Tebow. (laughs) That had to have been the worst. I mean, he... He's been released since then. I, I'm pretty sure that was the moment when you saw the little spin. Uh, he like spin cycled a block into him sitting on the ground. And it was just like, no, no, that's that's not good blocking. I'm pretty sure I could do better than that. Yeah, it appeared if there was a blocker lined up in front of him, maybe he's OK. But if you got to do any pulling or motion, uh, he was spinning in circles. So, yeah, I think uh, outside of not having the build to hold up behind the line of scrimmage, we could have done just about the same thing. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm five ten, and you know, not I don't I, I don't have the strength to do any good blocking. But I feel like maybe with like a a pity kind of a, a move, right? I go for the pity block. Just I look at the the defender. I'm like, hey, look at me, dude. Please, just don't, you know. And that'll confuse. Yeah, it'll confuse them enough, right? You know, can really really throw them off, and then next thing you know, boom, you know, Travis Etienne way past them, scoring a touchdown. I mean, maybe that's the move. Um, but also another cool thing from preseason i don't think anyone really knew about this uh the the baltimore ravens are one game away from tying the record for most preseason uh victories in a row they're at 18 straight now dating back to 2016 um i kind of love to go back through the box scores and just see like how much they played their starters versus their opponents because i'm pretty sure that's more or less the path to victory in the preseason is just how how long you're willing to leave your starters out there but they didn't have most of their starters this past week um but they're now just one game away from tying and two games away from uh holding the record for most consecutive preseason wins. That's pretty wild. Uh, maybe Robert Griffin the 3rd racked up a few over the last years backing up Lamar. I, I mean, I don't know. You got to have some backup quarterbacks and uh some depth. So we know the Ravens have a lot of depth on defense. Maybe they've just been shutting people down, but I had no clue until you told me that. So now I'm kind of curious to look at it as well. Yeah, I feel like we're gonna have some some more eyes on that because I think now it's it's starting to gain some traction. Uh, seen actually quite a few stories written about it lately. So I think you know it's kind of a thing. Um, but preseason football, I mean, it's just week one. There's still two more weeks of preseason football to go, and every year it's always uh, you know how much stock should we put into this stuff. So definitely take anything that you saw here in week one with a grain of salt, um, except for the stuff that we're gonna talk about later that you definitely should be overreacting to for sure, one hundred percent. Before we get into that though, just a couple of uh, you know QB list news that we want to share. We're gonna be doing a live mock draft on Monday, August twenty third at eight o'clock Eastern. It's gonna be a twelve team PPR three wide receiver draft. We're gonna be live streaming that on Periscope, so be sure to follow us on Twitter at the QB List to tune in when it starts. And we're gonna have quite a few staffers on, uh, including Eric himself, to discuss draft strategy and you know how you pivot throughout the draft because. Um, a lot of the draft, yeah, you do all the preparation leading up to it. Make sure you've got your your rankings, your list, your cheat sheets, all that good stuff, which, by the way, all that you can find on our website, qblist.com. But, uh, you know, how do you how do you pivot when you're sitting there in the fifth round and your draft board absolutely gets annihilated? You know, the 10 picks leading up to yours and you're, you're uh, scrambling to figure out, you know, how do you pivot here? This is the stuff that we're going to be discussing during the mock draft. So definitely be sure to tune in and, and watch as, uh, you know, Eric and other QB list staffers uh, do a mock draft. And speaking of the QB list staff uh, and, and, you know, drafting, join our discord community because you'll get live access to our staff uh, with everything that you need, including helping with your keepers, 
um, draft analysis, especially if you're in a slow draft. We've had people already send us questions. Hey, I'm, you know, pick three. It's round two. We're coming back. You know, I'm looking at this guy or, or that guy. You know, th- these are the kind of questions that we're already getting in our Discord community. Um, so definitely join that. Uh, go to pitcherlist.com slash plus. You'll get access to all of the baseball stuff as well. But obviously, you'll get access to the QB list community, uh, have direct access to myself, Eric Smith, uh, Ryan Heath, all the other guys uh, and all the other great staff that we have here at QB list, uh, as well as each other. Uh, we've had some great discussion today in the discord, actually, about whether like Ezekiel Elliott should actually be the third ranked running back after McCaffrey and Cook and ahead of Kamara and Henry. So that's some of the stuff that we talked about. And also, uh, starting today, the PL Plus community uh, was uh, able to sign up for our uh, guillotine league and our Grand Theft Football League. So uh, guillotine, you know, every week one team gets eliminated. Grand Theft, every week the winning team gets to steal a player from their opponent. So a lot of fun leagues that we're doing, and you can uh, join if you're part of that Discord community. Um, Eric, are you, you're going to be in the staff guillotine league, which I believe you came in second last year, right? Yeah, it was uh, one of the most fun leagues I've done in quite a long time. Um, I... Didn't have to sweat it too much until about mid-season. Uh, but once you're on the cutting, the, the, the chopping block towards the end of the week, it is very stressful. But I had a blast. Um, Lamar Jackson was kind of like a nice floor option I took because uh, you got 16 or 17 teams drafted in these things. So, you know, you need a nice stable roster. It really changes your draft strategy. And it's kind of fun to see all your friends losing every week, you know, for a change. <laughs> so um, you get to keep going. Everyone else has the anguish every week. And I would highly recommend guillotine leagues. I may have to try the Grand Theft League this year. I've never done that one, but guillotine was just a blast. So um, I would definitely recommend get some friends involved, even if you're not in PL Plus. But uh, it'd be even better to come and join us and draft a guillotine league. Yeah, I mean, look, guillotine league is all fun and games, and it sounds so great until you're the one that's eliminated in week two, which I don't have any personal experience with why do you ask <laughs> that wasn't me eliminated week two last year anyway uh moving on and uh we talked about it at the top of i feel like every show over the past couple of weeks but this past weekend was the fantasy football expo um that you were at it looked by the way like a blast on twitter a lot of uh, great pictures being shared a lot of really cool connections being made uh, but how was it being at the fantasy football expo uh, it was pretty wild. I mean, my weekend started um, checking into the hotel. It wasn't the main hotel, uh, but it was a little bit outside of the the area where the expo was going on. But, um, you know, I'm checking into the front desk and I'm like, wow, I, I know this voice. I've heard this voice at this table behind me a million times on podcasts and turn around and it's Roto Pat sitting there from NBC Sports. And uh, so I just happened to pick the hotel with all the NBC Sports Edge people. So, uh, you know, hung out with him and uh, Denny Carter a little bit at the hotel bar. Uh, Would have been fine probably just staying there the whole weekend, honestly. We could have just skipped the expo. But uh, no, everything else was a blast, too. There was a a party Friday night, uh, or excuse me, Saturday night. Um, Then the expo uh, was a blast. And um, I got to do a... uh, Uh, an expert mock draft in front of a room full of people. So that was exciting as well. Um, So just overall great, met a ton of people, uh, made some new connections. I'm hoping to go on a podcast and to have someone on a podcast that I met there. So I would highly encourage it. I hope next year there's a little less of the the COVID scare going on, but um, I would definitely get out there if uh, if you're interested in that sort of thing, because it's a great spot, even if you're not in the industry, to just get to meet everyone, um, get their cheat sheets. We were handing out our cheat sheets. Other people were doing giveaways. It was just, it was a blast all weekend. So um, it was much needed, got me hyped for this season. And uh, yeah, I'm ready to go now. 
Yeah, I'm looking at the expert uh, mock draft board here that, that you had shared on Twitter. Um, and it's pretty interesting. You know, it's funny because I saw this draft board uh, after I had kind of already read the notes for the show and talked about our, our discussion today about Zeke being the number three running back. And I'm looking at the board and Zeke was, in fact, picked third uh, ahead of Kamara, who you took at number four. Um, do you think that was a mistake? Do you think Zeke at three is, is too high and, and Kamara and Henry should be going ahead of him? I don't know that it's a major mistake. Um, I just think Kamara's volume is so locked in. I mean, with Michael Thomas hurt, uh, he's going to get the ball 20 times a game, and I just don't see it changing. I know that's the case with Zeke, um, but that is a very pass-heavy team also, um, and he does have a talented running back behind him. So I definitely see the case for Zeke at three. Uh, lots of touchdown potential. Uh, I just think Kamara is just just a slam dunk to get the ball just over and over again, while Zeke – Maybe they, they lean on the passing game a little more, but um, I don't mind them, and I don't mind them right after Kamara. I just have Kamara ranked ahead of him personally. I thought it was interesting that w- despite how much we hear about zero RB on Twitter and you should be doing zero RB, and I feel like every fantasy football Twitter thread I see these days at least mentions zero RB somehow, even if it has nothing to do with running backs. Um, only one team actually went zero RB. Uh, that was drafted from, I believe, the nine spot, and they took four wide receivers, uh, and then Kyle Pitts, Dak Prescott, and then another wide receiver before finally taking Michael Carter in the eighth round. Um, do you think zero RB is doable this year looking at at that team with uh, Tyreek Hill, DeAndre Hopkins, CeeDee Lamb, and Amari Cooper uh, all going off the board in the first four, uh, those first four rounds? Yeah, so, I mean, this was my biggest takeaway from this draft, honestly. Um, that was Kyle, um, I won't pronounce his last name right, but he's from NBC Sports as well, so he's a real sharp drafter. Um, and you know, after that draft, he got questioned by the audience. He was getting questioned by, uh, Bob Lung, who was running the draft. Um, a lot of people were like, you wouldn't really draft a team like this. Would you like, this is just a mock draft. You wouldn't wait that late on running back in a real draft. Right. And he was like, yeah, this is how I draft all my teams. And it was a reminder that zero RB is huge on Twitter. Um, it's huge in the fantasy community, but when you get out into the kind of the real world of fantasy drafts, uh, it's not as prevalent as you think it is. So um, if you're someone who's been drafting on underdog, doing best ball drafts all year, getting used to zero RB being just kind of a, a viable strategy, um, you can still do it for sure. But if you're going to your home league, it's going to snap right back to heavy running back drafts. So just be prepared for it because uh, zero RB has a long ways to go. I still think it's a valid um, plan. I mean, he got to pair up Dak Prescott with Amari Cooper and C.D. Lamb. That's a ton yeah, of Yeah, quite the stack. Yeah, and I mean, and we only did eight rounds, so you don't get to see the full build. But I'm assuming he gets Michael Carter in the eighth. He's probably going to get A.J. Dillon. You know, he's going to get those types, those high upside types later on. Um, you can piece together some PPR backs. We might talk about some of them later. Um, so I, I think it's the sort of thing, once you see the full roster, uh, you're going to feel a lot better about the team. And I, I do think it's a viable strategy because we're going to see people pop up on waivers, even if it's not like James Robinson. We're going to see those types pop up. They're going to be those types you can start for a week or two and get good volume. That's just the way running backs are. So, no, I, I think zero RB is a valid strategy. Just don't force it. Um, and that's what he said at the draft was that if he had picked three, he would have taken, you know, Kamara or Zeke or whatever. Like he's not going to take a wide receiver there just to force that strategy. Yeah, don't go zero RB if you get the first pick. You, no. you take McCaffrey and, and you think you're lucky stars that, that you got that pick. Um, I actually, I'm, I'm not, <laughs> it's funny looking at the board, you, you know, you defending zero RB and it, I feel like you would have been um, 
the one person in this draft that it's most likely to defend it because you were the uh, last person to get your second running back, aside from Kyle, who obviously only drafted one running back. Uh, but every other team had drafted their second running back at least by round five, and only one other team waited till round five to get their second running back. Everyone else had their second one um, by at least round four. So you being the only team that got your second running back in round six, you know, it feels like you went modified zero RB. I think people are calling it hero RB where you pick your stud running back in the first round and then you really wait and you got Kamara in round one, uh, went four wide receivers in a row, AJ Brown, Mike Evans, Tyler Lockett and Brandon Ayuk before taking Travis Etienne in the sixth round. Yeah. And so in the third round pick, um, I probably would have taken DeAndre Swift there if I wasn't just getting a little worried about this groin injury. He's missed a lot of practice. Um, he would have been on my radar there. It's getting to the point where I really have to consider it when I'm on the clock now. Um, but he was kind of the last that I really wanted there. And yeah, so I got to wait like three more rounds and pick up ETN, who's got a lot of upside. So um, it was a really fun draft. I just missed on my quarterback in the fifth round. Um, basically, Patrick Mahomes didn't go until late in the fourth round, um, right before me, actually. So I was thinking, well, I'm not going to take a quarterback here. I can get one of the top tier on the way back. Um, and then, <laughs> and the then picks- everyone else picked a quarterback. <laughs> yeah, so the picks before me went Josh Allen, Kyler Murray, and Lamar Jackson. Um, at that point, I could have taken uh, Herbert, Prescott, Aaron Rodgers, Wilson. Um, I thought I could get one to come back to me, and I just missed the uh, Russell Wilson, Tyler Lockett stack. So it happens sometimes, but I did not want to force quarterback. And so, you know, I was basically – I was going to take, like, Tom Brady to pair with Evans or maybe Jalen Hurts in the next round or two, which I'm still fine with, but – um, that was a notable part uh, representing QB list. I did not draft a QB. I I, I love that you uh, went over to on. Yeah, someone from this next year is going to make it back to me. <laughs> hey, that's how it goes sometimes, though. And I, I do think it's. I mean, sometimes you have to risk it, and you may miss the pick by you know may miss it by a pick. But um, I would rather risk it and miss out sometimes and get a value the rest of the times than just draft people around too early all the time. So you know, you live with it. Well, and this kind of stuff is exactly why you need to tune into our live stream because you'll be able to see, right? You think, hey, some I have three quarterbacks left that I that I want from this tier. There are three teams picking between uh, my two picks. You had the the fourth picks. So you literally had three teams picking twice before I got back to you and all of them pick a quarterback. So now what do you do, right? Do you panic in that moment and say, okay, let me get the next quarterback on my list, even though it's the next tier? Um, or do I pivot to a different position and hope that one of those guys in tier to make it back to me and then what happens when none of those guys make it back to you right just how do you continue to pivot and move on um let's talk about the latest in news and notes uh you know we talked about at the top of the show tim tebow was released huge blow to everyone's t uh tight end rankings um you know really blew it up i'm just kidding no one cares uh <laughs> except for all the people who bought tebow's jersey which i there is one question i want to ask do you think the jaguars made money on on the Tebow jerseys do you think that made up for the however much they paid him for his like two weeks of training camp oh yeah absolutely uh it was a top selling jersey there for a while so uh they made a lot of money and the memories will last forever so it was just a win for the, the whole organization yeah maybe maybe the Mets can get him back and sell more of his <laughs> baseball jerseys oh, actually you know what maybe uh, maybe he goes to basketball next maybe that's where he uh he makes um more money in jersey sales. Uh Chase Claypool went down awkwardly in practice yesterday. He needed to be helped off the field. Um but it has since been reported that he suffered a minor ankle sprain and he should be fine, which is great news. Um obviously we've had I feel like a lot of wide receiver injuries lately. Um so it's good to to not have Claypool uh, miss extensive time. Uh speaking of people who miss ex- extensive time, Darren Waller practiced. Ooh. He was at practice on Tuesday. 
thank the Lord. Waller's fine. You can please resume drafting him wherever you were drafting. Like I think his ADP is around pick 25. So right there at the two, three turn. Um, Latavius Murray is reportedly battling with Devontae Freeman for a roster spot. Um, he's currently being drafted around pick 110. So he's, you know, kind of being drafted at, at, like along with all the other handcuffs. Should we be putting Latavius Murray on our do not draft list for the time being until we get clarity on whether or not he's going to make the roster ahead of Devontae Freeman? That's usually helpful for fantasy football. Um, no, I mean, I haven't been drafting a lot of them anyway, um, but I kind of feel like this is just one story from one beat reporter that's kind of getting a lot of run. And I would be shocked if they cut Latavius Murray for Devonta Freeman. Uh, Freeman's been, you know, relatively uh, not useless, but uh, less than average for a couple of years now. Um, Latavius Murray knows the, knows the team, has been effective in his, his role. Uh, if they cut him, like they save about $3 million, but they still have a million in dead cap. They just, I don't see what the advantage is. I mean, what are they going to use that $3 million for at this point of the season? So I would be surprised. I, I wouldn't take too much stock in this. I wasn't drafting him a lot, but um, I, I think Murray is still a better player than Freeman at this stage of their career. I feel like Freeman has to have the highest ratio of amount of talk we spend on him and like teams bringing him in for a workout to like actual on field production. Cause I feel like I remember last year, the beginning of the season, he was being talked about with the Jaguars. He was being talked about with the Bucks. He was being talked about with the giants uh, where he actually ended up uh, landing, but there was just, there was so much talk about him with so many. I wouldn't the Falcons then the Falcons bring him back in for a workout. Uh, just I feel like there he was being kind of uh, everywhere, and and we spend a lot of time talking about him, and and it doesn't lead to much. So uh, maybe uh, this year is the year. Probably not. Uh, Chargers head coach Brandon Staley said that they will use a variety of running backs this year. That I mean, I feel like that's typically the case. However, when they're starting running back as a guy, we're you know, ranking and drafting as a top 10 running back, does that scare you uh, off of your current ranking of Austin Eckler? Uh, we're talking about, oh yeah, sorry. I got, I skipped ahead there. Yeah. So it, no, it doesn't scare me off. Um, we want Eckler's pass catching. That's all we want. Um, obviously the rushing is a nice little bonus, but uh, as long as he's out there on third downs and nobody's going to take him off the field on third downs and in passing situations, he's going to be just fine. So, um, they, I mean, none of the backup running backs, we may talk about them later, have looked all that appealing. Uh, no, this is still Eckler's backfield, and um, it, we just want him to last the full year, so they're going to rotate him in. And other than that, nope, same as always, keep drafting him. Well, I was actually going to say, let's let's talk about them now because uh, – so, okay, so Eckler is still top 10. You're not You're not concerned that they – that they want to use more than just Eckler. This was never going to be a bell cow situation that you were expecting. Um, but that leaves uh, Justin Jackson, Joshua Kelly, and even Larry Roundtree. Um, you know, Kelly was getting a lot of work at the beginning of last year. Uh, Justin Jackson looked a lot better when he got the, the you know, the touches. I think uh, he was definitely better on a, on a per-touch basis than Kelly. Kelly might have out-volumed him in terms of overall production. Um, and then Larry Roundtree, a rookie uh, running back this year for the Chargers, who, if anyone, are you targeting to have on your team either as like an Eckler handcuff or someone who uh, might be used enough that we can have two starting running backs here in L.A.? Yeah, so, I mean, I've been saying all offseason we want whoever the backup is here for the Chargers. Uh, I just... You know, Austin Eckler has a career high of 132 carries in a season, career high of 557 rushing yards in a season. Um, there's a ton of rushing opportunity here. And uh, like even last year, Eckler had 11.6 carries per game. That's plenty of room for a backup. So 
Um, it looked like we were getting some clarity. Justin Jackson seemed to be the backup. He was gaining a lot of steam in practice. Um, they were liking what they were seeing. And then he suffered a groin injury in the preseason opener. Um, he's likely to miss this week of practice. That doesn't necessarily mean it's a serious injury this time of year. They're probably just being cautious. But just when we thought we had some clarity, now he's hurt. Um, so it's rough. Uh, Joshua Kelly was listed a second on the depth chart. I don't think that means much. We've seen these depth charts. Um, it seems like an intern's making them a lot of the times for the official team depth <laughs> charts. So uh, don't follow that necessarily. Um, and Kelly was outproduced by sixth-round rookie Larry Roundtree in the preseason game. Uh, 19 uh, carries for – I'm sorry, Joshua Kelly had 19 yards, and Larry Roundtree had 63 yards, both on eight carries. So Roundtree outperformed him. Um, it's still a huge question mark. Uh, I think if you're drafting right now, um, I would probably take a shot on one of these guys if it's a deep enough draft, maybe take Kelly and hope for the best. And I would be ready to rotate depending on like the latest news because I do think there's value here. It's just, it's remained unclear all off season and in a shallow league, it's not worth drafting any of them. But um, I would not be surprised if we get startable weeks out of these guys when it's uh, maybe a game where they're projected to win by like 10 points or something. And some against some bad teams, we could see a lot of volume on the ground. Yeah, I mean, uh, Eckler's never been a volume running back. And so there should be a lot of uh, between the tackles type work. Um, so yeah, uh, definitely someone uh, worth targeting uh, towards the end of your drafts, uh, especially if if you're in a deeper league or you want to, um, you know, hedge your bets a little bit with either, you know, drafting Eckler or just having a, a running back that could get volume at a late round pick. Um, from one, I mean, that was like not that bad. This one's kind of bad. Malcolm Brown got the start in Miami's preseason game, um, which, okay, whatever. So, <laughs> sure, it's a preseason game. But then head coach Brian Flores has come out and said he plans on using all three running backs this season, using them situationally, basically saying, you know, he said, hey, we can use Gaspin in any situation. So that's that's great. We're currently drafting him in the fourth round as a top 25 running back. Um, but then he mentioned Malcolm Brown being used as a power back. Salvan Ahmed kind of having the speed out of the backfield. It didn't sound like he was really you know going to commit to using Gaskin with the kind of usage that we would expect from someone who's going in the fourth round. So what are you doing with Miles Gaskin right now if you're drafting uh, you know this week? Yeah, so I already had him a little lower as far as overall um, value as, you know, the kind of ADP. I had him more of a fifth round value. Um, I had him higher up in running backs, but that's just guys I'm kind of fading that tier of running backs. Um, it's probably time to drop him some. Um, it's a little weird. I'm, I have no interest in Malcolm Brown, so he is not shooting up my rankings, but Gaskin does drop. I, I think it's enough uncertainty. Um, it doesn't look like we're going to get that, you know, we, we're never going to get a workhorse role from Gaskin, but we're not going to get that, you know, 60% snap share maybe from Gaskin that we hoped. Maybe it still happens. But um, as long as we get the pass catching work from him, that's the key. Uh, it just means we shouldn't draft him as early if all three are going to rotate in, but he's still going to be useful. So um, as long as he catches pass, passes from Tua, which I think he will, he's going to be useful. Just uh, maybe don't lean on him like you used to as your RB2 in the draft. Um, more of a flex or bench player at this point. Okay, so let, let's talk a little bit about like where you would rank or, or draft Gaskin. Um, currently, like I said, going around pick uh, 40 as the uh, top 25 running back. The running backs directly behind him, uh, like less than, and say, 15 picks behind him are uh, Kareem Hunt, D uh, Daryl Henderson, Mike Davis, Travis Etienne, and Raheem Mostert. Is there anyone in that group that you'd pick Gaskin over? Um, I'd take him over Mostert. I have Mostert pretty low. I already had Etienne over him. Um, so I would definitely raise Mike Davis, Daryl Henderson, um, I probably would rather have like a Trey Sermon. Um, I, I think you start going for the upside players at this point. So, 
Um, yeah, he, he just, he's probably going to drop about four or five spots in my rankings, I think. Okay. And then like in the early sixth round, you've got Javante Williams, Melvin Gordon, Chase Edmonds, Damian Harris. Um, is Gaskin in that range or is he ahead of those guys? I mean, I'd rather take a shot on Javante Williams at this point. Um, I think the rest of those he is ahead of though. So it's okay. probably dropping him around running back 28 ish in my rankings. Okay. So, so kind of towards the end of round five and then definitely ahead of, or, or at the very least, like in the same range as other guys who uh, like Gordon Edmonds and, and Harris, maybe have questionable uh, workloads uh, and, and situations around them, as opposed to yeah. a guy like Javante Williams and Travis Etienne who have questionable <laughs> workloads, but at least have, have the upside to really take over in their situations. Yeah. And maybe it's an overreaction. I mean, I really, Malcolm Brown, we've been hearing this for years with them. Uh, we would always hear this in the preseason with the Rams. Maybe this is an overreaction and you should take advantage of it and get Gaskin at a discount. But it just seems like um, even if it's not Brown, it'll be Salvin Ahmed or whoever else rotates in. I, I think there's always going to be someone taking a pretty good amount of snaps from Gaskin. So lots of catches, uh, maybe not a lot else. Are Brown or Ahmed people that you're targeting late in drafts? I mean, Brown's going at pick 150 and Ahmed's currently being undrafted. Um, are they someone that, you know, you might take that late running back flyer on? Uh, not Brown. I mean, we he's just never done it. He's been in the league forever and he's never had more than a game or two. Um, Ahmed, early in the offseason, I thought he would be one that I would be targeting late. And I just kind of hope that Brown would go away by now. Um, either, you know, get cut or just kind of be a clear veteran presence, but it hasn't happened. So no, I think Ahmed's just kind of on that watch list early season, but I would jump on him real quick if something promising happened week one. All right, let's talk about one more crowded backfield and that's the Houston Texans. Um, Philip Lindsay got the start uh, in their first preseason game. And it looks like David Johnson is pretty much going to be used as the third down, like pass uh, situations running back. Um, so really, yeah, let's trade Deandre Hopkins for David Johnson. That seems like a great <laughs> idea. Um, how should we be drafting these guys? Cause currently Johnson is going ahead of Philip Lindsay. Give me one second to pull up their ADPs. Uh, Johnson has been, I mean, he's trending down, but he's still going at around pick 89, 90. And then Philip Lindsay has been holding steady around pick 115. Um, should we be flip-flopping that? Yeah, I don't know if Lindsay would get quite that high, but it, it may be at that point. I mean, we even heard quotes from David Johnson just saying, you know, it was a rough situation. He was kind of acknowledging the change that's going on here. Um, the preseason opener, Lindsay outsnapped David Johnson eight to two in the first quarter, which I know that doesn't mean anything in the preseason. Sometimes the backup running backs get more work, but it seemed like Lindsay's the primary back and it kind of makes sense. Um, here's the age of the running backs in Houston. Uh, DJ is going to be 30. Uh, Mark Ingram soon to be 32, Rex Burkhead's 31, and Phil Lindsay's 27. Um, then it also goes from a pass-heavy offense with Deshaun Watson to run-heavy with Tyrod Taylor, we assume. Um, Lindsay is not going to contribute in the passing game, but if it's a run-heavy offense, uh, I think that suits him better than David Johnson, who'd be a little bit more of a passing game threat. So I think it all makes sense. Um, I had Philip Lindsay as one of my late-round targets for running backs after pick 120 that we were going to talk about. Um, now the Texans are going to be bad, so the upside's not great, but um, you, you do get a game against Jacksonville week one and a game against Carolina week three. So there might be a little bit of a window here for Lindsay to get a little momentum and put up a couple good games early on. You'd have to be pretty brave to start in week one, I think, but um, there's some opportunity. The schedule gets tough later on, but um, I like Lindsay. He's got more juice in him than the other running backs do at this point. Yeah. Um, you, you mentioned Lindsay out snapping Johnson eight to two, but um David Johnson's snaps both came on third down as opposed to 
like him going on for a sequence and then and they just like turn the ball over in two plays or something like that. He it was specifically just those third down uh you know opportunities that Johnson was on the field. So it seems pretty straightforward in terms of what their role is going to be. Now the real question is it really sounds like I mean he didn't play in week one, but it sounds like Mark Ingram is going to factor into this backfield somehow. Um is this like a situation where if Mark Ingram and Philip Lindsay are splitting early down work um, or is it possible that Ingram could overtake him? I mean, you know, what are we like? That's the downside to Philip Lindsay, right? Is it, right. you know, there's like uh, all these other people he has to contend with that it sounds like they're going to be involved. So um, what are we doing with Mark Ingram? And do we actually think he's going to factor into this backfield in any kind of meaningful role? I don't really think so. I mean, he was such a big part of that Ravens team and they pretty much just phased him out last year down the stretch. And I'm pretty sure it was the exact same way in the playoffs. Like, you know, that I think that shows something if they put one of their veteran leaders on the bench for the most important games. So I think he's pretty much um, at the end of his career. He's there for veteran presence, uh, teach some of the younger players, but I don't think he's going to factor in a ton. He may be around just enough to be annoying for Philip Lindsay, and I do think Lindsay is fairly low ceiling, and there's not a great floor here either just because there's so many names. So I wouldn't go out of control and start drafting Lindsay real early, like I said, but if you're getting him, you know, after pick 120, I think he's a decent shot at, uh, uh, you know, he could lead the team in rushing yards and, you know, approach a thousand yards or something if everything goes right. Okay, let's let's talk about um... – so we're basically what we're going to talk about now is deep sleepers, right? People that you can get in your draft after about pick 120. So generally outside of the first 10 rounds, uh, which usually is when people stop drafting starters. Most of the time, I think at the very least, um, every definitely every running back, every wide receiver flex position are covered. Usually at least one of quarterback tight end are covered, if not both. Um, you know, maybe you're the team that waited to take a flyer, but really at this point in your draft, you're looking at these guys that are going to be on your bench that you hope can be solid contributors either, you know, via like handcuff status, right? Like handcuffing one of your running backs or someone that you think has the upside to start factoring in as a starter. Um, we'll start with Philip Lindsay. Um, he was one of the ones you had mentioned. He is going, like I said, around pick one, like bet- between pick like 110 and 120. Uh, so he's a little bit uh, technically inside, outside this range, but that's okay. We'll start with him. He's kind of been trending upward um, with Lindsay. I mean, he, the concern for me with Lindsay is that he's never been really a pass catcher. Um, yeah. And so we're talking about a small early down running back uh, on a completely horrible offense. Uh, <laughs> why? Like these are all the reasons why I don't want Philip Lindsay. So Eric, why do you want Philip Lindsay? Yeah, I mean, you know, I touched on most of it. It's, it's. I don't think the ceiling is huge, so I, don't get me wrong here. Um, it's just you're getting down to the later parts of the draft, and I don't think a lot of the other running backs in this range could theoretically like take over the backfield. Um, even though we think Lindsey, it's going to be mainly running and not a lot of pass catching, but I do think there's a chance that he's the best running back takes over and gets the bulk of the carries. So he could turn into one of those players where, yeah, at some weeks there's no chance you're playing them. You're not playing them against, you know, the chiefs or whatever, but um, in a close game, someone like the Jaguars, someone like the the Panthers, I could see playing them in those situations. So I, I think it's just the competition around them is not great. And there's a window there and we know if they can help it, they're not going to chuck the ball 40 times a game. They're going to try to run the ball. So there's, there's some scenarios where he has a decent season here. Yeah, I mean, he's pretty much going in like handcuffed territory. Some of the running backs going before him are Tony Pollard, Alexander Madison and Latavius Murray. And some of the guys going after him are Rashad Penny, um, you know, even like Tevin Coleman, some of these guys who are secondary on their depth chart. So, uh, you know, Lindsey definitely stands out as someone who 
might actually already have the starting role um, compared to, I mean, the next closest person that, that maybe has that kind of, of workload would be like Gus Edwards, um, mm-hmm. who is expected to factor into Baltimore's heavy run offense. Um, you could say maybe like James Conner. Uh, or or Kenyon Drake, but uh, you know they both have much better running backs to contend with in their backfields than Philip Lindsay does. So yeah, I mean, there's really you know I, I mean look I, I I'm not going to pretend to be some Damien Harris expert, but Damien Harris is going at pick 67, and he to me is in a similarly awful situation in New England, and similarly has not great running backs to contend with, except for a third down running back named James White. Yeah, I mean, you know, he should have better surroundings, better offense he's in, um, better defense on the other side of the ball. But, yeah, the point is valid. Uh, Harris has no track record of catching the ball at the pros. Um, and, yeah, even with, with Cam out there, we don't know how much passing they're going to do, kind of like Tyrod Taylor. So, yeah, I, I see the comparison. I'd, I'd rather have Harris, but uh, that's why Lindsey goes quite a bit later. I mean, okay, is New England a better offense? Like, even if – like, okay, Tyrod Taylor versus Cam Newton. I'm not sure that there's a difference between those two people. Uh, the wide receivers in New England are like Nelson Aguilar and Jacoby Myers. In Houston, they at least have Brandon Cooks. Uh, I guess New England has tight ends. That's something Houston. I just, I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. And and there's still one big question mark in Houston that could reignite that offense. Uh, so I just, maybe this is more why is Damien Harris going at pick 65 <laughs> than why isn't Philip Lindsay going higher? But I just well, feel like they should be closer in in ADP. Well, one key thing is that I mean this Texans defense could be the worst in the league and I'm fascinated to see what this offense does if their defense is putting up or allowing 45 points a game. I don't know That's fair. what Tyrod Taylor does while trailing by 30 in the third quarter or something. So, at least the Patriots will be in the game, you would think with their defense. I think that's the that's big true. difference. Yeah, and in those situations, maybe David Johnson is on the field for every snap because every snap is a passing situation at that point. Um, All right, let's move on to the next running back. Uh, You've got Chuba Hubbard here. Um, He is being drafted actually only in about 10% of leagues, but when he is being drafted, it's around pick 125. Um, It might just be a lot of people handcuffing Christian McCaffrey, but I got to say he looked really good in week one. Uh, Rushed for 80 yards on uh, seven carries, including one 59-yard run that – Honestly, it was really impressive uh, to the point that the Colts uh, announcer said that they tackled him. Uh, they had him wrapped up and he just broke out and just outran everyone on that defense. So, um, you know, this is I feel like I'd always been kind of interested by the fact that we didn't really handcuff McCaffrey like um, it was like. But that was because it was like Reggie Bonifon and I don't even know if I pronounced the name right, and all these other guys who weren't interesting. We saw what happened last year with Mike Davis. And I think Chuba Hubbard is a better athlete than Mike Davis. So um, is it just a handcuff situation or why do you have Hubbard as a sleeper? Yeah. I mean, I think we immediately put him in the elite handcuff category for sure. Like you said, we saw what Mike Davis did in that role last year. So this is legit. Um, And like you said, the Panthers, they really featured him heavily in that first preseason game. He was the clear lead running back behind McCaffrey. Obviously who didn't play had that impressive run, but I mean, he was the guy to start the game. Um, so if we already he's got that Mike Davis handcuff potential, um, there's also a chance here and probably not enough for standalone value, but there's a chance that the Panthers decide like, you know, we've got Christian McCaffrey signed through the 2025 season. Um, he has gotten 90 percent snap shares quite a bit the last couple of years. Uh, Christian McCaffrey has. There's a chance they're like, hey, maybe this needs to be a little bit more normal of a backfield where he gets. 80%, 70%, you know? And so I think there's a reason they took Hubbard in the fourth round. That's a pretty decent commitment. 
um, especially when you have a star running back around until 2025. So I think you could see some decent usage anyway. Um, not enough to start, but like I said, there may be certain situations. Who knows if, if McCaffrey's a little dinged up and then he's an elite handcuff. So I just, I think there's enough there that it's worth taking a shot. Um, and I'm not huge on handcuffing in general. So, I mean, I find taking him if I don't have McCaffrey, like it's not only if you have McCaffrey, you have to take him. but I think he's worth sitting on your bench, especially if you're drafting a month before the season, uh, just in case, you know, uh, McCaffrey gets a little dinged up and they need to manage his workload early on. So I uh, definitely have my eye on Hubbard late in drafts. Is this something where you you might uh, cut Hubbard after like week uh, two or three if it's clear that, you know, they are going to keep McCaffrey on the field 90% of the time? Yeah. And I mean, you know, these are the picks that you do that with. Um, sometimes you get stuck waiting on a player that's hurt or you're waiting on something to develop and you miss out on some of the waiver runs. Hubbard would be a pretty easy one to cut. Uh, you know, hey, McCaffrey looks healthy. He played 90% of the snaps the first two weeks. Um, unless you really want to stash them all year, uh, let's move on. So I don't mind those picks towards the end. And I, I think Hubbard fits that role. Okay. Um, the next running back, very similar, uh, profile. Like if you squint, we're kind of talking about the same guy and this is Xavier Jones, rookie running back for the LA Rams. Um, also being rostered in about 10% of leagues, which I find interesting considering the fact that, um, he's definitely the RB two in LA, uh, for the Rams, uh, behind Daryl Henderson, who, I mean, I know that everyone's like really excited about him and I can't, I can't tell you how many breakdown uh, videos I've seen uh, on Twitter about how Henderson's going to be a top 10 running back this year and all this stuff. But this is someone, he doesn't have the track record of lasting a full season. He does not have the track record of being a star running back. Um, so I'm kind of surprised that we're not seeing Jones drafted in more leagues as a bench player. I am too. Um, I think it's because of the uncertainty. Um, even though we, you know, we think he's clearly the RB two, there's a lot that could happen. They could sign someone. Um, Jake Funk could beat him out. There's stuff that could happen, but I just think it's worth noting. Um, and Daryl Henderson's two NFL seasons, uh, he's topped out at 56% of the snaps in a single game. Like that's the most he's had in a game in his career. Um, obviously he's set up to have more than that this year. I'm not saying that he's not going to top 56% of the snaps, but he's never done what the fantasy community is basically expecting him to do, which is, you know, get 70% of the snaps for 17 games. So um, there's a, first of all, there's like a 40% snap share opportunity. Just if he's healthy, I think like, I just, I don't think he's going to be that McCaffrey type. Um, so there's usage here for Xavier Jones. Um, maybe he turns into the goal line back or something. We just don't know. Uh, they used him like the primary backup in the preseason game. He had seven targets and uh, or seven carries and three targets. Um, Sean McVay had some good things to say about him, said he's been a bright spot in camp and with his opportunities, thought he was a positive in the preseason game. Um, they used Jake Funk as a, uh, a third down back mainly. Um, so, you know, I just I think there's a lot here. Jones had an 8% target share in college. He's only 24, so he's not some – you know, running back that's bounced around the league forever. Um, he doesn't have a history of H ACL injuries like Funk. I just think there's a lot here. We don't know if Jones is all that great. We'll see what happens, but there's a huge opportunity. And if Stafford lights it up, there's going to be a lot of touchdowns to go around. So I just, uh, personally, I have him, he, he's a above Hubbard for me. I think he could be useful regardless of Henderson's health. And um, if Henderson got hurt, then I think he, I think Jones is the one that would like be a volume back. I don't think Funk's going to be the volume back. Yeah, what I what I think is interesting is that we've had a handful of games where it's just been Henderson and Brown um, as the running backs for the Rams uh, each of the last two seasons, and 
in most of those games, Malcolm Brown did get a large number of carries. Mm-hmm. Uh, he in the one game in, in 2019 when Gurley missed, uh, Brown actually outcarried Daryl Henderson. Um, and then last year in the handful of games that Cam Akers didn't play, there was a few where Henderson was pretty much the only running back on the field. He had he had a big game, uh, I believe, against the uh, Bills last year in week three. But other than that, it's been pretty much either 50-50 with Malcolm Brown or like Henderson maybe got a couple more carries. So, that, I mean, Brown's gone, obviously. Akers is hurt. So now it's just Henderson. But it, this isn't someone who in the past when they've had that opportunity where Henderson could be the lead guy that they were just, yes, 100%, we're going to do that week in and week out. They would do it, you know, one game and then they would go away from it. They would do it another game and then go away from it. So I, I don't know. It does kind of um, uh, leave, you know, wondering if, if there is some, uh, target share or uh, snap share to be had with uh, Xavier Jones. So he's going around pick 137. Um, if he is even going to be picked in your league. So again, someone that you could get easily in round 11 uh, as just kind of like a, a backup running back. Now I have to ask if you go into the draft targeting, like let's say you kind of work backwards and you said of all of the backup running backs, Xavier Jones, is one of the ones I like the most, I want to make sure I get him. I'm going to pick him in the 11th round. Do you then say I'm then also going to pick Daryl Henderson in like round four, you're not going to reach for him. You're not going to pick him in like round three, or if you have like the first pick around four, maybe you don't pick him. But if you have an opportunity to get Henderson, does that factor in to your decision knowing that you want Jones later and you can make sure you get a, a piece of this Rams offense? No, I wouldn't let it factor in too much. Um, I would say no matter all the things I had just had to say about Daryl Henderson, I, I don't mind taking him because he is the upside play. I think Sean McVay is smart enough to know that they need to get the most out of Henderson to make the season work. So um, I'm not out on Henderson. And yeah, I'd be happy to get both of them because this isn't your typical handcuff situation. It's just a massive opening of opportunity. And hey, let's take two shots of it. So like, yeah, I, I think it's fine to get them both. I don't think that's a bad plan at all. Um, and, you know, I mean, as long as they don't add someone that throws a wrench into this plan, but we're getting awfully close to the start of the season. I don't see why they wouldn't have added someone already unless somebody big gets cut. So, yeah, I take Henderson and Jones. I think that's a pretty solid plan. Yeah, but you you wouldn't necessarily pick Henderson. I mean, his ADP now has climbed to the point that the running backs directly ahead of him are like Josh Jacobs, DeAndre Swift, and Chris Carson. So his his ADP continues to climb. But um, would you take him over over any of those guys uh, if you knew you wanted to get Xavier Jones? No, no. And I, I'm probably still taking uh, receivers in that spot. So I typically haven't been drafting him just because of the hype. So no, I wouldn't let Jones affect it to that uh, that extent, but um, they are kind of a nice combo if it works out right in drafts. I, I'm drafting Henderson above Josh Jacobs, but that's because I'm well, Josh Jacobs on my do not draft list. Yeah. Um, all right, let's talk about Giovanni Bernard, your next sleeper. Now he's going, I mean, even when he is being drafted, it's after pick 150. So it's you could easily get Giovanni Bernard with like your last pick of the draft. Um, why is Bernard a sleeper for you uh, now that he's gone from being RB2 in Cincinnati to like RB? three plus in Tampa Bay. Right. Well, and this one does depend on the league type a bit. If it's a shallow league, you probably don't have room for them, but um, both Ronald Jones and Leonard, Leonard Fournette tied for the 12th most drops in the NFL last year. They both dropped five. Uh, that's among Jones, all Jones dropped more than that. There's some, they're missing some <laughs> of the stats. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's very possible, but a per game have, for Jones. Yeah. Right. Five per game. Um, but regardless how many they had, that was on just 47 and 42 targets. Like there are receivers that had less than that. that had 120. So um, they both dropped the ball a lot. And we know that Giovanni, Giovanni Bernard's a good pass catcher. Um, we saw James White 
Um, he was getting like 7.7 targets per game with Tom Brady in 2018, 6.3 targets per game in 2019. Um, Brady left and they went down to 4.4. Um, that's right around what Bernard has gotten his career around four targets a game. Uh, maybe we see a spike with Tom Brady. Um, we know teams are going to try to stop those wide receivers. Um, Bernard was already playing third downs in the preseason opener with Brady. I just think, you know, all the focus is going to be on Evans and Godwin and Brown. Um, we could see Brady taking it easy early on, checking down to Bernard quite a bit in the two minute, you know, two minute drive. Um, I just, I could see him being a flex option in some shootout games. So again, needs to be a shallow league. Um, you need to, need to start him. Yeah, what's that? You said needs to. You said needs yeah, to be a shallow, needs to yeah, not be a shallow needs, league. Needs to be a deep league. Excuse me. Um, you need to know when to start him in some shootout games. But I mean, you compare him to like JD McKissick at pick one ten, uh, Naeem Hines at one twenty one. I'd rather have Bernard. You know, however many rounds later than take those kind of pass catchers. So I just I think he's a super cheap PPR back uh, that you can pretty much get for free. I mean, James, you mentioned James White during his Tom Brady time. I mean, that White was being drafted in like round six and right. PPR league. So uh really goes, I mean, you're again, you're getting Bernard at the end of drafts. It really goes to show what kind of upside um, Bernard could, not that we expect Bernard to be as good as James White was during those times, but that's the kind of, of usage he could get. Um, you mentioned that you don't like McKissick or Hines at those prices. Would you, if they were the same price, how would you rank Bernard still above Hines and McKissick? Or do you think that they, that they have earned at least being drafted ahead of Bernard? Um, that's a good question. So, I mean, both McKissick and Hines lose the quarterback that got him all those targets last year. I mean, McKissick loses Alex Smith, Hines loses Philip Rivers. Um, it's a totally different situation for both of them. I would expect Washington to use Gibson a lot more. I'm probably still going McKissick first, but he's not that far away. And I honestly think Bernard could be better than Hines this year. I don't know. I mean, Hines is younger. He's probably a more talented player, but I could just see Bernard having a much more a uh, consistent, predictable role than Naeem Hines does. It's it's going to be a lot of Jonathan Taylor. I, I just I think that's pretty certain. Yeah, and again, they're going. You know, Bernard's going forty picks later than than both of them. You have to use like a tenth or eleventh round pick to get McKissick and Hines. Yeah. Um, all right, let's talk about some wide receivers. Um, you had Michael Gallup listed. I do want to mention he. It depends on your your league uh, or, or what um, for, um, fantasy platform you're on. Uh, he's going around pick one twenty five on Yahoo. And is being drafted, uh, I think, in about 65% of leagues on Yahoo. And then as far as uh, ESPN goes, going around pick 108 and is being rostered in about 80% of leagues. So if you're on ESPN, you have to pay up to get Gallup. Um, is, so you mentioned him as a sleeper. Would you still pay like pick 108 price for Gallup? Uh, or is he more of like if you're after pick 120, you can take the shot on him? Um. Yeah, I mean, I've got him ranked higher than 108 on my overall top 200. So, yeah, I mean, I just think he's a good value. Um, you know, he's almost like a handcuff. Uh, either Amari Cooper or C.D. Lamb gets hurt, and all of a sudden he shoots up the rankings. It's kind of nice that there's two receivers there that you're kind of banking on. Um, and I just – I think we've overlooked – I mean, it's his fourth year in the league. He's only 25 years old. Um, he's had an 1,100-yard season. He's had two 100-target seasons in three years. Uh, I just, I think there's a lot of upside here. He's a boom bust option for sure. Um, but he's had seven games of 10 targets or more over the past two years. He's got a 15.6 yards per reception over his career. Like, I just think he's got a lot more explosive ability than a lot in this range. Um, he's already kind of done it. You know, he's showed us that he can have an 1100 yard season. And if something happens to someone ahead of him, then it's just, you know, it's, it's lights out for, 
for that draft pick. So I really like him. He's certainly one of those picks that could get stuck on your bench. And at times, you know, you don't feel great about starting him. I just, I think there's a lot of paths to success here. If you take Michael Gallup. Okay. So you like him as like the first wide receiver on your bench type of uh, draft pick. Um, all of the rest of your wide receivers are being drafted a lot later. Um, we'll start with Marquez Calloway, who's going after pick 150. is only being rostered in about 15% of leagues. I mean, he's the number one wide receiver in New Orleans right now. But, um, you know, Michael Thomas and Traquan Smith are, you know, going to come back at some point. Um, is this just someone you pick until then, you know, kind of get you through the first few weeks of the season? Or um, is there more here for Callaway? Yeah. So, I mean, I think Michael Thomas, it's, that's a big question mark when he's going to be ready. Um, we've talked about maybe if he sits out through the bye or not, we'll see. Um, but he still also has to stay healthy for the rest of the year. Um, Traquan Smith just returned after missing a couple weeks from a leg injury. I, he just got back to practice. Um, but you know, I just, I think there's a chance. We don't know how quarterback's going to work out for sure. It could be Jameis. It could be Taysom Hill, but there's a chance that Callaway is the top option in a Jameis Winston, Sean Payton offense. Like that would be a huge fancy role. And I don't think it's out of the realm of possibilities that he's their top receiver over the first four weeks or however long that's not Alvin Kamara. So, um, you know, in the opener, in the preseason, he had three catches for 61 yards against the Ravens defense. Um, there has been word in the offseason and before that they kind of like him more than Traquan Smith. And, you know, we've seen Smith in the year in the league for three years now. Um, he's yet to top 3.6 targets per game in a season. Um, this is Callaway's second year in the league. I just think there's a huge opportunity here. So obviously, if it's Taysom Hill, it looks a lot less appealing. Um, from a passing game perspective, but uh, I think it's worth the risk to try to catch Winston's number one receiver early on in the uh, the season. Yeah, I was about to ask it, if Taysom Hill ends up being the starter, would you move on from Callaway? And it sounds like um, you would look at, at yeah. other higher upside options. To, to some extent, but uh, Michael Thomas did have good games with Taysom Hill and um, I, they still are going to have to throw the ball. So I wouldn't completely write him off. It just depends on where his ADP is at. But um, if it's the right size league, I'd still be taking him. All right. Uh, next, we've got Russell Gage. Um, he's being drafted in about 25% of leagues. Uh, I mean, you know, Julio has gone. So, you know, the, there's some uh, opportunity there in Atlanta. Um, we saw what Gage could do. He had some good weeks at the beginning of the year last year and then fell off. Uh, what do you see from Gage this year? Yeah. So, like you said, no Julio, obviously. Um, Calvin Ridley, he's going to be the number one, but he has missed four games over the past two years. And uh, he's had a couple other games where he left early or was limited. So he hasn't been, you know, 16 games a year, every year. Um, Kyle Pitts, like he projects as the second most targeted player. Um, all I hear is people thinking where he's drafted is outrageous. So if you don't <laughs> like him where he's getting drafted, those targets have to go somewhere. Um, and other than Kyle Pitts and Calvin Ridley, it's, you know, Hayden Hurst. Uh, he's, he had a career high 5.5 targets per game last year, but it was just a 64% catch rate. Um, sixth round rookie, Frank Darby at receiver, uh, third year undrafted free agent, Olamide Zacchaeus. Um, I think I pronounce that different every time, uh, but you know, <laughs> and then after that, there's just a bunch of guys fighting to make the roster. So, um, he had 109 targets last year. He had 74 the year before that. Like there are a lot of receivers that never get to 109 targets. So I, I think he's shown enough to have a good role. Um, he's not going to be exciting. Uh, 10.2 yards perception, uh, 66% catch rate in his career. Like, is he, he's kind of like poor man's Jarvis Landry, and I would much rather take Gage a few rounds later than take Jarvis Landry where he's going. So that's kind of how I view Gage. I think he's going to be pretty consistent, and if something happened to Ridley or Pitts, like he's going to get a ton of work. All right, yeah. I mean, I liked Gage last year. I, I was very surprised when he kind of 
uh, fell off, especially as Julio was, you know, kind of in and out of that lineup. So uh, hoping for better things this year from Gage. Um, you got Detroit Lions wide receiver Amon Ross, Satan Brown here. Uh, I mean, he's being rostered under 10%. I think we all see the talent and upside there in Detroit, especially, you know, with the wide receivers. I mean, it's Prashad Perriman, like in front of him. It's not like, you know, it's Tyrell. It's not like these great wide receivers. Um, but I feel like, I think the Lions have been uh, very heavy in their two tight end usage. And I don't see that necessarily changing this year. Um, and St. Brown kind of profiles is that like third wide receiver. Is that a concern at all to you in terms of playing time? I mean, it is, but he's going super cheap. Um, he worked out of the slot a lot in the opener, the preseason opener, and played a lot with Goff and looked good. Was running some good routes. Um, Tyrell, I think, is locked in the lineup. Terraman, he's been uh, out with an injury. Uh, he's, I think he's back now, but he hasn't quite emerged. So there's just nothing in front of him. He's a fourth-round pick. Um, I think he's got a shot to lead the receivers anyway in targets for the Lions, and they're going to be playing from behind a lot. So that two tight end plan goes out the window real fast if they're down 17 in the third quarter. So uh, I just I, I, he's possibly the best receiver on the team. Then it's just a matter of how much is uh, T.J. Hawkinson getting, how much is DeAndre Swift getting, how much is left over. But I just I think he's, he fits Goff's skill set a lot better than Tyrell and Perriman, who are downfield threats. Yeah, yeah, I I love Perriman and Madden. Uh, cause he's at, <laughs> yeah. his speed is insane, but yeah, I mean, rock hands for sure. Yeah. Uh, Sterling Shepard and Jacoby Myers are both being rostered in about 20% of leagues. Um, they kind of profiled to me as, as similar wide receivers, just, uh, you know, high, um, you know, uh, targets, you know, kind of possession wide receivers. They usually do better in PPR. I know Jacoby was getting a ton of targets last year when he was like the last man standing, uh, in their receiving core. So, um, is that kind of what you're looking at here? Just two two guys who could be getting volume that, you know, they're not being drafted as such? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, Shepard, it's just, it's already clear. I mean, Galladay's already hurt. Um, Darius Slayton, like he played in the first preseason game when all the starters sat. So he seems to be in the doghouse. Um, Kadarius Tony is a rookie who we're not sure about anyway. He's missed time with, you know, COVID and stuff. So I just think Sterling Shepard has a, a slot role there that, it uh, could be pretty lucrative this late in drafts. He's been targeted a lot in his career. And then, yeah, Jacoby Myers, he had 59 catches, 729 yards over the last 11 games. Um, you know, he, if Mac Jones comes in, maybe we see an uptick in passing volume and uh, he's a lot more appealing. So um, I, I, I think there's a chance that Jacoby Myers is just better than Nelson Aguilar and Kendrick Bourne. So, yeah, Shepard and Myers, I, I just think there's some uh, boring volume players you're going to take a lot earlier and you might just be better off taking one of these guys with your last pick. Yeah, maybe go higher upside with some of those earlier picks rather than grab Jarvis Landry in like the ninth or tenth round, um, where he's about going. You you pass on him, take a higher upside guy, maybe Michael Gallup, and then uh, and then you wait and grab Shepard and Jacoby, who uh, you know kind of very similar players. Um, Sterling Shepard, by the way, the longest tenured New York Giant, um, kind of surprised hmm. me, but uh, yeah, he's been on the team since 2016, and uh, he's been he's gotten over 80 targets every single season, and uh, the it's really been I mean the two seasons he had under 90 targets, he only played 10 games uh, last year. He only had 90 targets, but only played in 12 games. Um, and then the two years that he played a full season, he had uh, over a hundred targets. So there's, you know, they've used him heavily. He's still in this offense. Um, he's been, you know, with Daniel Jones now for the last few years. I mean, there's a lot of uh, familiarity here with Sterling Shepard. So I definitely see yeah. it. He's, um, a type, he's, also, he's a real quick. He's also the type that you look at his season long numbers. They aren't as good. You look at his per game. He averages 7.2 targets per game in his career. Uh, we're 5.5 receptions per game the last two. And I, I do think he's better in the slot. So even if Galladay's there, um, he doesn't have to be that number one receiver they were trying to make him recently. So I, he's, 
almost better or just as good with all the people around. I just, he, he goes back to his role where he's more comfortable as a slot receiver. Yeah. And sometimes it's really helpful to have guys like Sterling Shepard, who uh, in weeks where your starting wide receivers are hurt or they've got a really bad matchup, it, it feels better being able to plug in like Sterling Shepard rather than, oh, maybe uh, Traquan Smith will have a big game this week. I don't know. You know, yeah. like that kind of situation. Um, lastly, you have Van Jefferson, Rams wide receiver, hardly played last year. What are you seeing from him? Yeah, so reports, uh, I think ESPN reported, he seems pretty clearly he's going to be the number three receiver, uh, despite Deshaun Jackson. Uh, they want to limit Jackson's snaps, which makes sense because he gets hurt every year. So, um, But it's mainly this this usage for the Rams with Matthew Stafford here that I'm expecting. Um, they used to be one of the most heavy three wide receiver set teams in the league. Uh, 2018, they had 89% of their snaps out of three wide. Um, that was the most, obviously. Um, 2019, 73%, third most in the league. And last year, they were down to 14th in the league, 65% of the snaps. Um, I think they were just trying to protect Jared Goff, play more two tight ends. I would expect that to trend back up with Stafford. So um, the third receiver in this offense could be almost a starter. Um, he's still got to compete with Tutu Atwell and Deshaun Jackson. But um, last year, Josh Reynolds saw 72% of the targets in this offense as a third receiver. Um, so I think there's a lot of snaps on the table for Jefferson. He looks like the better all-around receiver compared to Atwell and Jackson. I mean, uh, I just, you know, Jackson, we know what he is. Atwell's maybe more of a gadget, jet sweep type player. Um, but I, I think Van Jefferson, he's a former second-round pick from last year. They they should want to get him involved. And it's just another one of those cheap players on the Rams offense where if this really blows up like we think it could, um, Van Jefferson might get in there. And then like any other situation, you know, an injury, all of a sudden he's on the field a ton. They're not going to have this Deshaun Jackson out there for 90% of the snaps. So um, I, I think Jefferson's very – I really like his upside and I think he could even develop into a fairly safe receiver just depending on how this offense goes. Yeah. Uh, reminds me a lot of uh, like a poor man's Michael Gallup in that this is an offense yeah. that we want a piece of. And if you can get one for free that, you know, all you need is one injury in front of him, you know, that, that can be a huge, uh, huge boost to your team. Um, real quick, let's touch on some quarterbacks and tight ends. Uh, we're not going to focus on ADP because, one thing that I found, especially in home leagues, is you can throw some of that stuff out the door because teams will start drafting two tight ends. The I remember last year in my home league, the guy who drafted Travis Kelsey drafted a second tight end. And I was like, why? Why, why? You don't need a second tight end. What are you doing? Yeah. Uh, so sometimes you kind of have to look for if you're going to be the team that waits on these guys, guys that are being drafted in under 50% of leagues. Um, so let's talk about your favorite quarterbacks who are being drafted under 50% of leagues. Um, the one that you mentioned before the show is Tua. Uh, Tago Vailoa, why why him as opposed to other guys like uh, Baker Mayfield or Kirk Cousins? Yeah, of the ones who we know are relatively certain they're going to play 17 games, um, two is my favorite. Uh, it's kind of like if you project him backwards, like kind of project his pass catchers first, it's real easy to see how you can get a good season out of him. I mean, we you know, you can project Will Fuller for a pretty good season pretty easily. Devontae Parker's had his moments. Mike Gesicki, uh, Gaskin out of the backfield. Uh, Jalen Waddle is really uh, – we're starting to get some good reports out of camp with his um, chemistry with Tua. Uh, so you just – you look at those pass, pass catchers and kind of work backwards, and it's easy to see a big year. Um, he's got the draft pedigree. He's on a stable team. Um, I think the coaching is good. Um, you know, he's not going to be a rushing threat, but he did rush for three touchdowns last year in 10 games. Like, he gives you a little bit there, I think. And it's his second year off of his major hip injury. So 
Um, I think he's a gamble worth taking, and he's not as much of a gamble as some of the others we'll talk about who we don't even know if they're going to start necessarily right off the bat. So I really like Tua, and like I always say, if it's a regular league and he doesn't work out, then you can go pick up Cousins or Mayfield or whoever's there in week three. So um, I like Tua as a gamble if you're really going to punt or if you want to take a second quarterback. Yeah, I was going to say with with Tua and especially with these next two guys, I think it's more of like as a second quarterback type situation where, you know, maybe you drafted Matt Ryan or Tom Brady as your starter and you're just not positive. So you grab one of these guys. The other two you had listed were uh, rookies, Justin Fields and Trey Lance. Um, I mean, look, I understand uh, the situation. They both of the starting quarterbacks or quote unquote starting quarterbacks ahead of them aren't great. Uh, that being Andy Dalton in Chicago and uh, Jimmy G, uh, Jimmy Garoppolo in San Francisco. Trey Lance probably has a better offense. A lot of uh, probably has better players to pass to. Um, Justin Fields probably a little bit more NFL ready. Um, there's a a lot. Uh, I mean, Fields played the last two seasons. Lance uh, did not um, in college, and it just there's more here. I think for Fields, I don't know. I, I look I, here's my take on this, Eric. You know want to hear from you in just a second, but it just, if you're drafting one of these two guys, uh, just make it a last round pick and, and hope for the best, whichever one you like more. Yeah. And this is one that totally depends on the roster size, what your bench looks like, the league type. Um, there's some good, some leagues you might just not have the room to sit them on your bench and see what happens. So definitely keep that in mind. But I mean, they're both getting rave reviews out of camp. Um, we always go through this, almost every off season where we say the, the veteran quarterback's going to play, they're going to play till week eight. Next thing you know, uh, the rookies in in week two. So um, I think they could be in sooner rather than later. They both have big time rushing upside. They both have big time talent. Uh, I just, I think these are the players that you want to swing on. I mean, how, how much behind Trey Lance or how much would, behind would Trey Lance be from Jalen hurts? If he was playing every game, like, how much less rushing is he going to get than Jalen Hurts? I, I, he's a better prospect, you know. So um, it's just a matter of when do they start and how much risk you want to take and if you want to clog up the roster spot. And that's that's really all it comes down to. But they could certainly be winning leagues down the stretch if they uh, look like they have so far in camp. Just don't draft them as your only quarterback. No. Uh, <laughs> and then as far as a tight end, if you are the team that's going to really wait and, and draft the tight end super late, so you're getting a guy who, again, these are these are actually people who are being drafted in fewer than 30% of leagues. Um, who, who are the people that you would be going after? So we kind of talked about these last week on the tight end podcast. Um, Adam Troutman on the Saints feels like cheating. I don't know if those numbers are accurate or not. I, I feel like most leagues, someone's going to hype them up and pick them. But um, – you know, he's a former third round pick. There's no Jared Cook. Michael Thomas is out. All, all the same stuff we talked about with Marquez Callaway. Uh, there's just a good role here for Troutman, and he looks ready to take advantage. We'll see how it works out. But um, he is a very high upside. While he does have a low ceiling, I think he's got like 17 career targets but uh, or low floor. Um, but uh, it could go wrong. But I think he's worth the risk. Um, one that would be around later in more leagues would be Gerald Everett, who I mentioned last week. Um, you know, the third option is up for grabs here behind DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett and a Russell Wilson, Russell Wilson offense, um, throw in a new coordinator. You know, we could just kind of see a different style to this offense. And um, Everett's about that age that a, a tight end breaks out. It's so tough when they're young. Um, he's been around the league now. He's on a second team and 
maybe this is his year where he kind of puts it all together. He's got some athletic ability. So um, if Wilson likes him and the new coordinator utilizes the tight ends, then he could be in store for a really good year. So those are two of the higher upside ones. Um, There are lots that you can talk about that I think have nice floors like Austin Hooper and some types like that that I think are valuable late. But these are two that I could see like being actual difference makers of the position. Yeah, I uh, I might have missed Trent Troutman's. Uh, he's actually being drafted in 66% of leagues. Okay. Uh, but still, I mean, that's less than two-thirds. Um, uh, yeah. There's definitely and, – and he's going at pick 132. So, you know, we're looking at, uh, you know, basically around 11 at that point. So if you're a team that waits, you can still get Troutman. Gerald Everett, though, being drafted in 6% of leagues. Um, so Everett is someone that should be available um, on the board at the, at the very least in your drafts. Um, I'm not able to pull up their ESPN roster ship, but we've seen generally speaking uh, no more than like a 15% difference, even in the extreme cases between Yahoo and ESPN. So um, you can expect probably about the same amount. So you can wait, maybe see if you can get Troutman at the end of your draft. And if someone else grabs him before you, you can grab Gerald Everett. Um, but that's going to do it for today's podcast. Uh, you know, basically looking at all those guys kind of at the end of your draft. I mean, that's, it's such an important part in while it's not going to kill you if you pick wrong, it's certainly going to help if you pick right. So hopefully, um, you found someone in this podcast that you can target at the end of your draft and be sure to tune in on Monday as we do our live mock draft. Maybe you'll see Eric pick some of these guys, uh, at the end of his draft, Eric, you kind of have to now, cause it would be really, you not look good if you don't pick these guys now at the end of your draft. Yeah, and I do want to throw in one last thing. There are some players that I skipped here because I don't think they're going to get drafted in the leagues, but there's some rookie receivers like Brian Edwards, Josh Palmer. There's some uh, Eskridge for the Seahawks. There's some high upside options. I'm only not including them because you don't need to draft them. Um, but I would put a lot of those rookie receivers that have had slow starts to camp on your watch list and be ready to pounce if something happens late preseason or early season. All right. Awesome. Well, that'll do it uh, this time. And we look forward to uh, seeing y'all on Monday. Uh, Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Cubulist Fantasy Football Podcast.